Hello and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the conversations we've recently had on JM and the AM. Dr. Alan Kadish was with us recently. He's president of Turo University. We discussed that distinction of Turo now being a university on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, our friends at Turo College are now known as Turo University. We've been talking about Turo a lot recently. We've spoken about the uh, incredible... Uh, uh, expansion with the lease that they signed at three times squared. That was our last conversation, most recent conversation with Dr. Alan Kadish, the president of Turo. Uh, we've been talking about the 50th anniversary, how amazing it is. They started with the 35 students back 50 years ago and now are in this jubilee year. And now they have more great news that many of you are already familiar with, and that is that Turo College is now known as Turo University. Uh, one would have to assume this is a major step in the world of higher education, and we'll find out if I'm right or not. Uh, from Dr. Alan Kadish, who is the president of Turo and is with us live via telephone. Dr. Kadish, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. By the way, I want to note before we get to today's topic that we are uh, you know, in the second week of March. You were the first guest that we had to address the pandemic, or what ended up being the pandemic, two years ago this week. It's almost hard to believe that it's two years, and certainly uh, at Turo and so many other educational institutions, so many adjustments had to be made. But I guess, Dr. Kadish, in a way, we should look back and say, thank God we made it to this point, huh? Well, I think uh, there's been a lot of pain, a lot of challenge. Uh, it, we're hopeful that we're through the worst. Yep. Um, you know, and just when we thought it was safe to wake up in the morning, um, there is a little bit of a, a surge in cases in Asia. And so I don't think we can be completely comfortable that it's all done, but I think uh, right now, at least in the northeastern United States, it looks like uh, we're in good shape. Baruch Hashem. And, and so uh, we're cautiously optimistic that that's going to continue. We're gradually uh, reducing some of the restrictions we've had. Uh, but we're going to remain vigilant, just like everyone else is. I so I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but uh, it's been a challenging couple of years for everybody, uh, not just higher education. Yeah, so the challenge for everybody is right, and I join you in your cautious optimism. Um, well, the news that Turo is now a university certainly made quite a splash and quite an impression in our community, and I'm sure in the community of higher education uh, recently, now is this a? You have to explain to us how this works. I mean, who who grants Turo this status as becoming a university, and how significant is it that no longer you'll be known as simply a college, but as an entire university system? So, first of all, the accreditation process for a university is state related, and it's uh, it requires the approval of both the New York State Department of Education and the New York State Board of Regents, which governs education in New York State. Um, and um, to be fair, the rules change to make it a little bit easier for institutions to become universities, and we benefited from that. But we were also on a path to meet the criteria in the near future for a university, even under the old rules. Um, but what, what the significance is, is it simply a reflection of really what we do which is that we have a large number of advanced graduate programs, uh, academic research going on at the institution. We have Ph.D. programs. 
we have a new PsyD, Doctor of Psychology, program beginning. And so the, the title, no, nothing sort of changes absolutely overnight because of the title. But what it is is it's a reflection of the profile we've now got in higher education. Um, and um, we really had the profile of a university for quite a while. And, in fact, Turo is a university in California, Nevada, has been for more than the past decade. Uh, but, uh, of course, the center of our operations is in New York, right. and we had not been a university in New York. And I think the title simply reflects what we're doing at the institution and just to tell you a little bit about what we're doing on the doctoral level uh, in, in New York. So we've got a Ph.D. in Jewish studies. We have the new um, PsyD program that I talked about um, at New York Medical College. Uh, we have PhDs in a variety of basic biomedical sciences, uh, and that's in addition to multiple medical schools, dental schools, school of pharmacy, school of physical therapy, uh, law school, all of which give degrees on the doctoral level. So the title of university really is appropriate for what Turo does. Dr. Alan Kadish is with us, president of Turo University. Is 50 a coincidence? Was it a goal to do this for the 50th anniversary, or literally things just fell into place and, and this is where we're at? So it, it, it has been a goal actually for quite a while. It was the founder, my predecessor, Dr. Landers, of Bless His Memory Goal to be a university. Uh, I've been at Turo for 12 years, and it's uh, taken 12 years since I've been here. And as I said, it was a combination of academic expansion right. as well as a change in, in New York State rules. Uh, since we, didn't, we don't control the Board of Regents, I can't say we planned this, but um, it's, nice... it's certainly something that we hoped would happen at our 50th anniversary. The big 50th anniversary celebration is going to happen in December of this year, and so uh, we're, we're excited about being able to put that together. Um, what does university, or I should say, how does becoming a university impact the students, the faculty, the day-to-day -day at Turo? Will anybody who's uh, on campus feel uh, that now it's a university as opposed to just a college? Um, I can't say that anything will change in terms of day-to-day -day operations because, as I mentioned, we really were doing the things that a university did before. But I think that the difference is, is reputational, and that reputation will affect um, our students when they're in the job market. It affects uh, our professors as they do things. It affects recruitment, development. Uh, but I think there's a, also a psychological impact that it's uh, a reflection of the fact that we uh, arrived as a major academic institution. So it's more psychological than practical, but uh, the downstream effects will be significant. Are you used to the words Turo University yet? Does it roll off the tongue yet? Not yet. I still have to. I still have to correct myself. After 12 years of Turo College, I still have to correct myself. And you know, we're, we're going to create a new logo. And as I said, we're really going to roll everything out in December uh, at our 50th anniversary celebratory dinner. So uh, we'll have some time to sort of get used to it. Uh, but that doesn't lessen our excitement. 
Uh, the leasing deal that we spoke about the last time you were on in Midtown Manhattan and at Three Times Square, uh, and of course this development. I mean, it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of great things are coming together at once. Uh, plus the 50th anniversary, of course, and that whole celebration. So a- as you're at this uh, at this moment of you know so many great things going on, what can you tell us about the future of Turo University? It sounds like things are going really well. Are there things you'd like to add or adjust? Well, we are in the process of adding some things, and and one of the things we've always said is that Turo is already always going to be focused, as its major focus, on educating our students personally and professionally, making sure they're successful in the job market, and make school sure they're successful personally. Uh, but what we've done is uh, also um, try to increase our research profile and try to increase our public education profile. So let me just tell you a little bit of some examples of that. Sure. Um, we're adding actually two research institutes to Turo this year. Um, neither of them are in New York City, in the New York State. Uh, one will become part of Turo. It's in Albuquerque. One is a new affiliate, in, actually in Montana, of all places. <laughs> but they're both world-class research institutes. And in the days of Zoom and distant collaboration, we believe that they'll add significantly to the research profile and reputation of the institution. Um, the one in Albuquerque is huge, has 400,000 square feet of lab space, 50 scientists, and, and 400 other employees. So this is going to be a substantial expansion of Turo's research enterprise. And we hope to continue that not just in biomedical sciences, but in other areas as well. Um, and so that's one piece of our plan for the future. We, w- we don't want to lose our focus from being primarily in a teaching institution, because that's in many ways what's distinguished us. Um, if, you know, many other institutions, the faculty is so focused on research that there is not a primary focus on student education. And that's one thing that's always distinguished Turo, and that's something that we don't want to lose. Um, but we are increasing our research profile, and that's part of our plan, uh, let's say, for the next 50 years. Um, the other piece of it, I talked a little bit about public engagement. We've begun a number of public engagement and education programs, um, and some of them have uh, really been interesting. And um, so uh, we interview a bunch of authors of Jewish-related books. Uh, We've had a number of programs on autism, uh, which is one of the areas of Turo's focus, particularly out west. Um, uh, And so we're expanding the things we do to engage the Jewish community as well as the general community. And we're expanding our public service. Uh, our public service, uh, we've done a lot with in New York, Nevada, and California with COVID vaccinations uh, and with uh, providing support for people who've suffered from COVID. So in addition to the educational piece and the academic piece, we're, we're looking at serving the community in other ways, and we're very excited about that, and it's very gratifying. Well, I can imagine, because it certainly sounds like uh, all of this is going in the right direction, to say the least. Also, we should mention that, especially for this audience, for our community, uh, there are other priorities that uh, always remain high priorities at Turo, and with that in mind, I was wondering how the dinner slash Chagasmicha was, uh, which I know is another very important component to those who founded Turo, and of course those who are leading it today. Well, we're very proud of the fact that we actually have three smicha programs at Turo now. Uh, one in Chicago at, at Skokie Yeshiva, uh, one at Orachayim, and one at um, Lander College for Men, based Medrash Talmud, which is the name of the sort of religious 
studies, Gemara studies part uh, of Lander College for Men. This Chagas Micha was was for Lander College for Men for Base Metro Talmud. Right. Uh, we had almost twenty five musmachim, hundreds of people uh, at the celebration, and the feeling was incredibly positive. Uh, we had a number of alumni there, uh, and uh, you know it's also just beginning to come out of the COVID-induced hibernation. And so I think that, together with some great Divrei Torah from the Rosh Yeshiva, um, r- really drove what was a wonderful evening, um, and one that I think uh, the Musmachim, the alumni, and the community will really remember. So it, it was a great night, and we're really excited about it. And um, as I mentioned, we have a big dinner planned for December, but we have a number of other dinners planned in person for this year, and uh, assuming that our cautious optimism is justified. Um, it's really been great to get people back out together. You know, one of the strengths of Yiddishkeit of Jews has always been um, that we do things together in a minion, in shul, right. at events, at chasanas, uh, and um, we've missed that. And, uh, you know, there was a time when there were so many dinners, you would say, oh, another dinner. Now, it's sort of almost that this this pause has created uh, a new level of excitement, and that excitement was palpable at the Chagas Micha. I can only imagine as people clamor to get back to a regular life and a social atmosphere that resembles, at least, if it's not exactly like, but resembles what we were used to before uh, this all started two years ago. Information about all of this, you can go to Turo.edu, Turo.edu, and of course we'll continue to update people regarding the 50th anniversary celebrations. We get closer and closer to the end of 2022. And the Mazal Tov, Dr. Kadish, on becoming a university. I don't know what this means. I don't know if you, uh, you know, nationally universities have a certain profile. I don't know if you need a, a special uh, a logo or a mascot or a special song. I have no idea. You know, if, 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 if you have to fit into that aspect of university life, but uh, if you do, I hope someone's working on that. <laughs> well, we, we, we are going to have a new logo. Uh, you know, we, we sort of have a mascot, but we're going to maybe refine that a little bit. And, uh, uh, but, you know, we're not going to change our identity, right? you know, which is uh, a primary focus on serving the Jewish community, even though we serve a lot of other people right now. Yeah. And so uh, we, we, we never want to lose sight of our primary commitment, the primary reason the institution was founded, which was to serve the Jewish community. Man, it's doing and it. so uh, we're going to do all the other stuff, but we don't want to lose our focus. And um, I, I, sh- I should just say that um, we have a lot to celebrate at Turo. We have a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, and if uh, only the tragedies and disasters that are going around on the world around the world would calm down a little bit. It would be easier for us to celebrate, but it's, it's hard to get up every morning and be excited about what's happening in Turo and uh, read the news about the terrible disaster in the Ukraine and uh, the concerns about what Iran is doing. So, uh, you know, we, we have to uh, sober uh, our excitement uh, by things that are going on in the world, but hopefully with Purim going, coming up, we can forget about that for uh, at least 36 to 48 hours and enjoy the rest of the week. No question about it. There's uh, a lot of concern around the world and a lot of people in our community who we are very worried about. 
Uh, hopefully we'll be able to keep that balance going of uh, keeping the concern at a high level, but also, as you mentioned, keeping the, uh, the Adar uh, celebratory feeling at a relatively high level as well. And I take this opportunity to wish you a happy Purim. And again, congratulations on the big university uh, um, uh, status. And the best regards, everybody at Turo. Thank you so much. Great talking to you, as always. Dr. Alan Kadish, as we wish him a happy Purim, we note the fact that uh, now uh, Turo College is known as Turo University. Uh, they've been granted this status, and they have uh, achieved uh, so much over the last 50 years, and certainly this is a very significant uh, development uh, in the history of Turo. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Alan Kadish. David Cutler, Summer NCSY, was with us recently to announce the winners in the Summer NCSY raffle. Here's my conversation with David Cutler on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Friday morning broadcast, Shushan Purim morning here at JM in the AM. Shushan Purim in general is always a celebratory day, and of course the fact that it's attached to Purim makes it extra special. Uh, but for us, Shushan Purim has become uh, somewhat of a tradition uh, to highlight the NCSY summer programs and to actually announce the winners of the NCSY summer Purim raffle. The raffle um, has concluded. Uh, the um, the um, raffle cards or results have been pulled, and we get the opportunity to announce the winners in just a moment here at JM in the AM. With us live via telephone is the leader of NCSY summer, of course, the one and only David Cutler. David, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM and AM. Happy Shushan Purim to you. Afrelkan Shushan Purim. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? All right. Thanks for giving us this opportunity to tell the world about the three big winners. Before we get to the winners and before we talk about the raffle, we should mention that you have reached, you have achieved an incredible number in terms of NCSYers, in terms of uh, NCSY uh, um, uh, participants for this coming summer. Give us the update on what's happening regarding NCSY Summer 2022. We just surpassed 2,100 kids this summer, which really is, uh, again, a phenomenal number for us. Uh, there, there are still some seats on some programs, but for the most part, our programs are, are pretty full. Uh, but people who want to get in certainly can. We, we just announced, I'm excited about a new program. We just announced a little late in the game, but there's some really good interest in a program that we announced uh, for current 8th and ninth graders uh, who want to play basketball in Israel, a program called Jump Shot. Uh, and again, there, there are a tremendous number of programs uh, on our website that I encourage people to go see. And uh, we're very excited, Baruch Hashem. The summer's going as normal. Israel is open, as you've heard. Yeah. I, just came, I just came back from there. It was a wonderful trip. And, uh, and we're, we're very excited about the program. Thank God. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Israel, again, is an option for people. And uh, let's hope it stays that way. The uh, information email is summer at ncsy.org. Again, summer at ncsy.org. The website for information about all the programs, including the Jump Shot Israel brand new program, is summer.ncsy.org. In fact, if you know an 8th or ninth grader, or if you have an 8th or ninth grader in your home, uh, child, grandchild, whatever the case may be, that wants to participate in the basketball program in Israel, this is for them. It's brand new, summer.ncsy.org. Again, summer.ncsy.org has all the information regarding every one of the programs. And the, uh, uh, the centerpiece of the uh, NCSY summer is, of course, the day or the night where all the programs get together. This time, Yom NCSY is taking place on Wednesday, July the 13th, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we get closer. All right, I remind everybody that the NCSY Summer Purim Raffle has three prizes. 
First prize is the free NCSY summer program of your choice or $5,000. The second prize is tickets for two to Israel. And the third prize is a $500 Visa gift card. I ask you, David Cutler, are you ready for me to announce the results? We definitely are, Nach. I'm very excited. And uh, the people, God willing, uh, I'm sure are waiting by the edge of their seats. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. This is a big deal after all. All right, third prize. I remember we chose these in order, first, second, and third. We'll announce them in reverse order, and here we go. Uh, third prize winner, the $500 Visa gift card. Congratulations to Audrey Whites of Yonkers, New York. Audrey Whites of Yonkers, New York. A $500 Visa gift card. We say congratulations. Mazal tov to you on this Shushan Purim morning. Ready for the second prize. The second prize is two tickets to Israel. Two tickets to Israel. And now that Israel's opened up, those are tickets that are very valuable. And the truth is actually they are more very valuable. The way the prices are going, boy, are they valuable. Uh, the winner of the two tickets to Israel, the second prize in the NCSY Summer Purim Raffle, is Ariel Remmer. Ariel Remmer of Toronto, Canada. Ariel Remmer of Toronto, Canada. Congratulations to you from all of us here at JM in the AM. And now uh, the uh, moment we've all been waiting for, the first prize winner announcement. The first prize, it's a free summer or $5,000. And, David, in past years, uh, this has always gone, interestingly enough, um, either to somebody who um, – uh, who really uh, benefited? How do I put this? Who you know, for whom it was really a great thing that they got a free summer, uh, or they were able to uh, uh, use the cash for a great reason. It seems like this. I mean, all the prizes are great, but it seems the first prize always goes to somebody who uh, uh, for whom it's it's a perfect fit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, hundred percent. Listen, the, the the people primarily buying the the raffle tickets are people that are in you know registered for a summer program, and no matter who you are. Right. If you're registered for a summer program, they cost somewhere between, let's say, five and nine and a half thousand dollars, and uh, and you get to go for free. That's a very good price. And therefore, <laughs> so, uh, with that, with, some people are really excited about it. With that in mind, we announce that the free summer or five thousand dollars, the first prize, and the NCSY summer Purim raffle on the Shushan Purim goes to Jeremy Eisenberger of Hollywood, Florida. Jeremy Eisenberger. Of Hollywood, Florida, congratulations. Mazel Tov, again, first prize, Jeremy Eisenberger of Hollywood, Florida. Second prize, the two tickets to Israel, Ariel Remmer of Toronto, Canada. And third prize winner, the Visa gift card, Audrey White of Yonkers, New York. And I think this has happened in past years as well. It's nice to see that geographically we've distributed these prizes really well, David. Yeah, 100%. And it's nobody that I know, which is actually also really good. Um, I just want to say two things. First of all, thank you, Nachum, for, having, for doing this and for always having, you know, having our back and, and partnering with us. It's really wonderful. Uh, second, I, I want to actually wish Mazel Tov to all the, the winners, which is actually, like you said, a big deal, especially a free program or tickets to Israel now, right now are, are certainly a big deal. Right. And third, I really want to encourage everybody who's in Eretz Yisrael this summer to join us at some point. Whether it's for Yom NCSY on July 13th or it's on Tishabov on August 7th at the Kotel, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience to spend some time with, with uh, these kids who are really undergoing life-changing experiences together with their staff in a very meaningful place, obviously, in a very meaningful way. So anybody who's in Eretz Yisrael this summer, we would love to have you stop by our base medrash in Kolal or Mechlelet, stop by one of our programs, stop by the Kotel. 
um, just dive in with us, sing with us, have a, have a shawarma with us. Uh, but, I, but I encourage anyone, summer at ncsy.org, summer at ncsy.org, to join us and spend some time with us this summer in Eretz Yisrael, God willing, or any one of our programs in Baltimore, in upstate New York, wherever we are, just uh, really spend some time with us. Email again is summer at ncsy.org, summer at ncsy.org. For information about all the programs, you can go to the website, summer.ncsy.org, summer.ncsy.org. Congratulations to Jeremy Eisenberger of Hollywood, Florida, first prize winner of the free summer or $5,000 in the NCSY Summer Purim Raffle. David Cutler, a happy Shushan Purim to you and a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Nachum. A wonderful Shushan Purim to you, a great Shabbos, and uh, all the best. Thank you for everything you do. I want to thank David Cutler for giving us the opportunity again to be the place where the world finds out who wins the NCSY Summer Raffle. Congratulations, Jeremy Eisenberger, Ariel Remmer, and Audrey Weitz from all of us here at JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. That was my conversation with David Cutler. Rabbi Simon Taylor joined us on JMNAM to discuss the OU's efforts regarding the Ukraine and helping people in the Ukraine. Rabbi Simon Taylor, a guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, I mentioned to my staff yesterday that we must do something today. It is a fast day after all, and we have uh, spoken somewhat about the importance of supporting our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. But I said it's a fast day. we got to... Uh, we got to go ahead and just um, feature one, at least one of our recommendations regarding how to help our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. The National Director at the Orthodox Union's Community Projects and Partnerships is Rabbi Simon Taylor, and he is with us live via telephone on this Tanis Esther morning. Rabbi Simon Taylor, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. Great to be on. One of the things we said uh, the moment this war broke out, uh, as uh, people were being inundated with emails and, uh, and messages, uh, uh, all of which included links uh, to contribute to help the people in Ukraine, we tried to encourage our listeners to go, with, to go with outfits, to go with organizations that have demonstrated responsibility in the past, that have demonstrated that they, have, uh, that they either have or are under pressure uh, to make sure to get the funds and the goods to the right places and the right people. And obviously the Orthodox Union, the OU, is very high on that list. When they go ahead and establish a fund, you know that they've done their research and they're doing their best to get the money and the supplies where they need to get to. The, 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 the actual effort from the OU to help our brothers and sisters in Ukraine began immediately, right? This was like the moment the war broke out practically, right? Pretty much. We mobilized as quickly as we could, but as you said, it's our job to be responsible. Whenever you're running a campaign, people are trusting you uh, with their money, with tzedakah funds. It's mamon hektesh. We have to be extremely careful. Uh, it took us a couple of days to establish who are the right partners on the ground and to make sure that we were going to be able to distribute um, with the proper responsibility. And as soon as uh, we were confident that there was a huge need and we were going to be able to distribute the funds, and we got things set up right away, and we sent out an email communication um, to our network um, as quickly as we could. Has there been a good response? Baruch Hashem. The response has been really tremendous. Um, thousands and thousands of donations have come in, uh, and they keep pouring in uh, all the time. And in addition to all the donations, we get many, many phone calls, and we've mobilized volunteers, all who want to help, uh, want to play their part in helping with this absolutely massive crisis. And I remind our listeners that all of this information is available at ou.org slash Ukraine, ou.org 
slash Ukraine. You can give a small amount, a large amount. Just give everybody and make sure you're included in this amazing effort. Now, I know you're not in Ukraine, so to be fair, you can't tell us exactly how the money's being distributed or how it's being used. But give us an example of some of the things that are going on with the funds that are being collected by the OU. How are the people in Ukraine utilizing those funds to move forward and to and to, to, to stay alive, frankly? Absolutely. So it's, it's a very fluid dynamic, and the uh, different needs are really changing day to day. Yeah, right. And we have a team in contact uh, with the people on the ground, finding out exactly what the biggest need is at the time. So at the beginning, when the campaign started, most of the funds were being directed towards evacuations. You're talking about evacuation, evacuating whole orphanages, evacuating busloads of Jews from different communities from the Ukraine, helping people get across the border and uh, really setting up either refugee camps or integrating them into existing uh, Jewish communities uh, in, East, in Eastern Europe. And so those evacuations were really the focus uh, of the uh, fundraising campaign at the early stages. And now, although that's still going on, uh, the focus is slowly starting to move away from those evacuations and into making sure that everyone's got the food and the shelter and being taken care of uh, wherever they are. You know, uh, first of all, call out kavod to everybody in Jewish leadership, including the OU, who helped with the evacuations. We know what kind of emergency situation that was, and the speed was key. Funds uh, that were necessary were key. Getting the funds there are not al- is not always easy. So, again, a yeoman's effort by everybody in Jewish leadership who took this responsibility upon themselves. Um, but the other thing is that people don't realize, and maybe it's because we're being inundated, sadly, by all the images of war, uh, the destroyed buildings, the, uh, the funerals that are taking place, the, the terrible horror that people are going through. People don't realize that there are plenty of people still in Ukraine in, in somewhat normal situations, uh, some, I mean, some of them might be, you know, in, in, in shelters or, uh, or you know, being, um, uh, being housed in, in different types of facilities. Uh, they may not necessarily be home. Uh, but a lot of them just need supplies at this point. A lot of them just need basic essentials. And, uh, you know, in order to stay alive, in order to make it through, uh, God knows, you know, how many days this thing is going to last. So we're at a point now that even though we continue to see uh, uh, scenes of destruction, people need to realize that there are plenty of people that are just trying to stay alive or just trying to you know, get through um, uh, this whole episode. And I would guess that you're hearing from a lot of people who are very thankful that supplies that your organization and others have been, um, have been sending or money that you've been sending has essentially been keeping them going. 100%. The supplies is absolutely critical. And us, together with many of our partners, are really focusing our efforts right now on getting those supplies uh, to the people. We're talking about medical supplies yeah. and food, are two which are top of the list. And uh, you know, getting them to Eastern Europe is not so difficult, but getting those supplies inside the Ukraine uh, to some of the cities which are under siege uh, can be extremely, extremely difficult. And you can only imagine uh, how afraid the people are and uh, nervous about these supplies not arriving, uh, running out of food, and all those kind of thoughts which people have to deal with is what we're contending with. And so one of the most recent efforts, uh, which has just been established this week, is that the Orthodox Union, together with many other organizations, has put together a central distribution warehouse uh, where we are coordinating in one central location 
happens to be in Budapest, uh, a warehouse which is collecting uh, kosher food, uh, which is being shipped in from Israel, from here in the USA, uh, also from different uh, countries in Europe. And that warehouse is going to be able to service the kosher needs of over 30 communities inside and on the outskirts of the Ukraine. And it was amazing to watch the Orthodox Union spring into action. You know, uh, we certify 1.3 million products and have over 13,000 plants around the world. So as soon as uh, we found out that uh, this was being dreamt of, obviously, uh, you just uh, leveraged all those contacts to get as much uh, food supplies donated as possible. And Baruch Hashem, this uh, effort is off to a, a great start. And uh, all day, every day now, I am on the phone with different factories donating grape juices and matzahs and chicken and everything you can imagine. The, comp- the, the Jewish companies in particular have been so generous at donating supplies so that we can stock this warehouse and those uh, 30 communities uh, don't need to worry about where the next uh, kosher meal is going to come from. Rabbi Simon Taylor and I encourage everybody who's uh, capable of doing that, of actually um, of actually uh, helping with the uh, bulk supplies for the Ukraine, whether it be food, clothing, medical supplies, uh, suitcases and travel bags, whatever it is you could provide, please be in touch with the OU. It's OU.org slash Ukraine supplies, OU.org slash Ukraine supplies. And again, to give a donation, a financial donation, it's OU.org slash Ukraine, OU.org slash Ukraine. Um, I can only imagine how difficult it is. I mean, you just said it, how difficult it is to get it from the central point in Eastern Europe to people in the Ukraine. And we don't realize how many, and you can probably speak to this because I'm sure you've heard from many of them. We don't realize how many cities and communities in the Ukraine have representatives, have community members from our, uh, of our people, have community members uh, who are, uh, you know, representing the Jewish community. I, it, it's a pretty big country, <laughs> and, 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 and you've got to get those supplies to a lot of areas, and I, I would assume that also adds to the pressure of the entire operation. A hundred percent. Like I said, we, we are dealing with just over 30 small communities, um, but there are, there are many more. Yeah. Uh, we, can't, we can't deal with all of them. You know, Chabad have done an unbelievable job taking care of uh, their own communities. There's many, many uh, Chabad communities, um, and certain communities, you know, I, I would say for now are just about okay, and they're managing without our distribution. Um, but the ones, you know, in dire straits that we are trying to get the distributions to is, is about 30 right now. Um, but again, it's fluid. The numbers can change. Uh, different communities could run out of food or, or, you know, lose their own supply chains. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why our effort has been set up, to make sure that we don't run into uh, those, to those troubles. You know, the last, the last few days, uh, I've uh, really taken on a completely new role. I'm speaking to Boeing and to Delta and to FedEx and DHL, you, you name it. Everybody who can help us to try and uh, take by air freight, uh, donated supplies, and get them where they need to go. Wow. It's been remarkable to watch uh, how when there's a humanitarian crisis, everybody wants to step up and help. Unbelievable. Call a to them. Uh, everybody out there, it's Tanis Esther. It's the Fast of Esther. Everybody out there knows that, uh, as we discussed earlier in the week, uh, this is a time of year where we're, we try to step up our chesed efforts. Adar, Nisan. These are the times of the year, uh, just as an example, that we really try to uh, reach out to others. And here's our opportunity. Go to ou.org slash Ukraine and be as generous as possible. ou.org slash Ukraine. Also, if you're in the business of uh, medical supplies, uh, clothing, food, etc., 
Uh, they could use bulk donations of supplies for our communities in the Ukraine. OU.org slash Ukraine supplies. OU.org slash Ukraine supplies. Uh, make contact with the OU and by Simon Taylor, and they will uh, direct you in terms of getting your goods to that central place in Eastern Europe, and please God, as quickly as possible, to the communities in need in the Ukraine. Rabbi Simon Taylor, anything you'd like to add, sir? Yeah, absolutely. I think the main thing that I want to get across that pe- so that people should be clear is that the needs are tremendous, and the amount of money which is needed is only growing. Um, we're at the beginning, and um, unfortunately there's going to be not a lot more money which we're going to need to collect to help the people of the Ukraine. And everyone's been very generous so far, and the money which people have donated is definitely making a difference. Um, but the needs are going to grow. There's going to be a lot more that we need to do, in particular when it's going to come to resettling uh, the huge amount of refugees uh, that exist. And the last thing anybody wants is there to be Jewish refugees in 2022. Yeah. So, you know, I would just say to everybody, if you're not sure uh, what's the best way uh, to donate and to help, feel free to reach out to the Orthodox Union, you know, reach out to other organizations that are helping, find out, you know, where your money can be put to its best use. But believe me, the, <laughs> there's, there's so much that needs to be done. And uh, I think we might need to do an update in a few weeks, but there's a lot going on all the time. And uh, everyone should have this particular crisis at the top of their list. No question about it. And, yes, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much work that uh, needs to be done, and hopefully our community worldwide will step up. It's OU.org slash Ukraine, OU.org slash Ukraine for the supply donation. It's OU.org slash Ukraine supplies. Uh, Rabbi Simon Taylor uh, with us this morning, the uh, National Director of the OU's Community Projects and partnership. Uh, happy Purim to you and Kolakavo to you and everybody at the OU for what they're doing for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Thank you so much and happy Purim to you, Nachum. Rabbi Simon Taylor, more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Simon Taylor. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, author of the book The Concealed and the Revealed, was with us this week. An amazing uh, book, a great conversation. And of course, if you go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio and order it today. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, a recent guest on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Monday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed Adar Purim Megillah Esther, The Royal Intrigue and Divine Irony of the Purim Miracle. It's written by Daniel. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, who's with us live via telephone, is Rav and founder of Mahon Magid Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. Rabbi Gladstein is one of the contemporary Jewish world's most popular speakers and respected Magid Shir. His more than 7,000 recorded shiurim have garnered millions of views on TorahAnytime.com and other venues. His Hebrew sfarim as well have garnered acclaim throughout the Torah world. Rabbi Gladstein has a masterful grasp of an exceptional array of sfarim and commentaries and a rare ability to explain profound teachings with remarkable clarity. We are recommending, as we have with other Rabbi Gladstein books, go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. You want to make sure to do that today so you can have this book in time for Purim. It is called The Concealed and The Revealed. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, uh, Nacham. How are you? Good morning. Baruch Hashem, doing well. It's Adar after all, so uh, I'm hoping everyone's doing well and has a uh, a good Simchadik perspective even during these crazy times. Can I start with my favorite chapter of your book? 
<laughs> Please. <laughs> Thank you. My favorite chapter. There are a lot of great ones, and there are some amazing and tremendous insights, not that you need my endorsement. The chapter, <laughs> the chapter is entitled The Purim Story, Right Back at You. Oh, I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> I mean, this is, I, I mean, you know, I know the Megillah relatively well, as relative as well as a Balabus, you know, knows it. And it's something that we know since we're kids. But my gosh, I never realized how many things are either built, created, introduced in the Megillah that end up being used for an either exact opposite purpose or for the purpose of the salvation of Klal Yisrael. And you point out so many of them, and I thought it was just Amazing. Can you expand on this a little bit? Can you tell the listeners yeah, what I have in absolutely. mind by all this? And, and uh, Nachum, now I see, uh, and I always notice you're the best in the industry. Here you Woo. have a book, it's 500 pages, and you just <laughs> zero in, really, on my favorite chapter. Thank you. I've had a number of speaking engagements the last two weeks, and I always find myself speaking about this subject. Um, the one which I consider just a gift from Shamayim yeah. is that the Megillah ends, that Ahasuerus taxes the people, right. which seems like irrelevant information. Why is the Megillah even including this? Why do we need to know about the taxes? Nobody cares about taxes. In fact, you point and, out you point out when you introduce that, that when you think about it, there's nothing political or diplomatic mentioned in the entire Megillah in terms of what's going on in Ahasuerus' kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. And the McGill even says that you want to know the rest of the story, you want to know the politics, go to the Chronicles of Persia Media. Right. But uh, you got the wrong book here. And something that occurred to me was when I was learning, say, for Ezra, was when the Jews returned after the 70 years to rebuild the second base on Mikdash, and they couldn't afford to finance the construction. They turned to Darius, Daryavesh, right. son of Ahasuerus and Esther. Right. And he says, you know what? He opens up the, the royal treasury, and he gives them tax money, Unbelievable. and and I said to myself, where did he get all this tax money from? It's from It's from the taxes Ahasuerus collected. But but the real special insight is, here Ahasuerus is making a party, and he thinks he's celebrating the eternal destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And God says, watch this. This party will bring the demise of Vashti. You'll marry Esther. You'll have a kid, Darius. You're going to charge the people taxes. Then when you die, your kid's going to get it, and he's going to fund the building of the second base of Mikdash. Oh. So while you thought you were celebrating destruction, the party was laying the foundation of the second base of Mikdash. It's unbelievable. And, and you have other examples, by the way, in Jewish uh, history, including biblical history, uh, which are amazing, such as Moshe Rabbeinu growing up in the house of Paro. Paro, actually, when you think about it, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but Paro, when you mm-hmm. think about it, and tell me if this is too strong a language, literally trains Moshe how to be a Absolutely. leader, how to be a leader of a nation. It's Absolutely. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, the, the Ibn Ezra writes, if, if Moshe would have grown up with the rest of the Jews, he would have had a slave mentality, he right. would have had a low morale, and Paro groomed him for a greatness. And I, you know, the, I say tongue-in-cheek, Paro kibel Torah misinai. Without Paro, we never would have had the Torah. Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. And then, of course, the most incredible example, but the way you present it, I think, is just remarkable. <laughs> and that is the fact that Haman, Haman builds a 100-foot-tall gallows, right? He builds gallows because yeah. he, he has in mind that this is where Mordecai's end is going to be, and you explain mm-hmm. and you explain why, in fact, it was so tall and how that ended up being his demise. What can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, he thought that, you know, he would capitalize on the fact that Akashroshi is so wishy-washy. He's always changing his mind. So he has to have some kind of eyesore staring Akashroshi in the face so that if he ever got angry at Mordechai, he would just capitalize on that moment and see the gallows looming in the background and say, all right, hang Mordechai. Right. And that's really what backfired against uh, Haman because uh, Haman took one misstep with Esther and Akashroshi got upset. You never know. Maybe a day later he would have calmed down, but because he had that gallows looming in the background, he just took advantage of, of it. Harvona says, Tolu, I love, hang him. And Akshosh uh, did that in the heat of the moment. Unbelievable. So great. And what's interesting is uh, that there are many examples in history where this principle is very evident. And even in our own times, you think about how uh, in 1947, 1948, we were losing the war. We didn't have ammunition in Eretz Israel. And God put into the mind of the biggest tyrant in history, Stalin, who killed 20 million people. God put in his mind, you know, Israel, they're socialists. They'll probably be communists. I don't like the British in the Middle East. Stalin funded the war in Eretz Yisrael. If we have uh, a state today, if we have a mirror yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael today, we have Stalin to thank for it. And that's just a, a modern-day example yeah. if we have, of this if, principle. If we, if we have a place for Ukrainian Jews to go and be refugees, then we have yeah, we, right. we have Israel to do that. It's a pretty amazing, a great example. Um, there's there's something else I have to point out. This is not from the same chapter, but it it struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, m- many of us know, if we're familiar with the Purim story, that uh, Esther invites Haman to the party, and the reality is. That especially for you know somebody who who we get the impression might be a little timid, might be a little uh, intimidated uh, by her enemy. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a curious fact that she invites Haman to this party, uh, which she wants you know Achashverosh to attend. Um, mm-hmm. and in fact, it, it 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 struck me when I read what you wrote. Uh, you know, we, we say uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. <laughs> that, that, that Esther may have Esther may have been going at that with that philosophy that if she can get Haman to trip up, if she can get Haman to do something inappropriate in front of Achashverosh, you know, half the battle could be won right there. What can you tell us about the curious fact that she invited him? Yeah, the, that's a major discussion in the Gemara. You know, Mara Esther says Haman. What was Esther thinking? And the Talmud goes through many possibilities of what her calculation was. And the Talmud concludes that they asked Elio Anavi, and Elio said all of the above. She, was th- she had a dozen of various calculations, and uh, they came to fruition. And it's very interesting how many, uh, and one of the chapters in the book is about why Elio Anavi seems to play uh, many roles in the Megillah, including dressing up in a costume, huh. and that is he, dress, he dressed up as Charvona, because in the beginning of the story, Charvona is spelled with an Aleph, right. and later on in the story, it's spelled with a Hey, right. and our sages teach us that was actually Elio Anavi in his best Charvona costume. Well, if that's the case, and he deserves a better mention in Shoshana's Yaakov, <laughs> if he's really exactly. Elio Anavi. <laughs> exactly, and, and because we always say Eliyahu, Zachor Latayv, so we give that to Charvona, and we say, Begam Charvona, Zachor Latov. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Uh, Monday morning, JM in the AM, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein is with us. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed. Adar, Purim, Megillah, Sester. Get ready, everybody. Wednesday night, unless you're in Yerushalayim, Wednesday night we're going to be reading uh, Megillah, Sester, and, and, and reacquainting ourselves with this incredible story. Why do you think, why do you think, 
we, we ended up with an obligation to hear every word. Why is it not enough to do what we do with other Megillos, which is, you know, to, to give a casual listen when, when we're in shul? Why do you think that Megillas Esther ended up with this requirement as generations uh, progress that we have to, in fact, halachically hear every single word of this oh, Megillah? I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, a matter of dispute, again, in the Talmud, how much of the Megillah you have to read. And we ultimately rule, like the opinion of Rabbi Meir, you have to read the whole Megillah. Right. And one of the very important explanations is, is because we need to start from the very beginning of the story where the Jewish people committed a very grave sin. Mordechai told them, don't go to the party. This is not, this is not going to engender goodwill from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right. You can't go to the party. And think about it. That party that warranted annihilation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed on the Jewish people a threat of Lahash Midlara Goliabid, of national annihilation, at that very party, when they were sinning, Hashem was still paving the way that if they were to do tshuva, He would save them. So at the party that, that was a, a great, grave sin, Hashem knocked off Vashti, putting Esther into place, so that if we would repent, Hashem would save us. Hassan oh, Sofer writes, that is actually the greatest miracle of the Purim story that even while we're sinning, Hashem's love for us is unwavering, and He's awaiting our tshuva. And that's really one of the most important messages of our time, that uh, whether, regardless of what level a Jew is on, Hashem's love for them is immutable and unwavering, and Hashem is always awaiting our return to Him. Wow. And that's why we have to start from the very beginning of the story. Can can one uh, can one name a book uh, about um, uh, about Esther Megillas Esther and Purim uh, concealed and revealed when we uh, growing up were told that everything about the Megillah is in fact only concealed? <laughs> well, that's right. That that's the whole uh, essence of the story. That's Hashem's the whole revelation. Does not appear, <laughs> right? It's a time of uh, concealment on Hester Panim. And on the other hand, there's an amazing teaching of the Arizal that the light of Purim was the greatest revelation of spiritual light in the history of the Jewish people. Its light is more brilliant than even Shabbos and Yomtif and all of the Chagim. And there's even a statement by Chassam Sofer, and who but the Chassam Sofer could have made such a statement, that the light of Megillus Esther is even greater than the Torah itself. Unbelievable. So on the one hand, it's a time of great concealment, as you say, and on the other hand, it's the time of the greatest revelation. Incredible. So Incredible. we have this uh, really amazing dichotomy. You know what part of your book I loved because it meant so much to us here? Uh, we, we have, uh, over the last couple of years, we've started a, uh, a Nissan, I guess in a way it really starts in Adar, uh, but a Nissan Chesed mm-hmm. campaign, and we've started a mm-hmm. an Elul slash Tishrei Chesed campaign. We're always encouraging people to do Chesed, but we try to think of mm-hmm. unique unique ideas uh, where people could really step it up during those two times of the year. And you pointed out <laughs> that there's an mm-hmm. illusion in the Megillah. To, I can't believe I never knew this, by the way. I mean, how did I go to Yeshiva <laughs> Day School? I'd not know this, that there's an illusion in the Megillah to the, the not only to obviously the month of Adar, which you know the story mm-hmm. takes place, but to Elul and Tishrei as well. Just remind me what the what the abbreviation is. What the yeah? Uh, the so Russian we have uh, by the the mitzvah of Matanas Lavionim Ish Lareyehu Umatanas Lavionim that right. they spell out an acrostic. The first letter of those four words spell out the word Elul. Wow. 
And uh, often in the Talmud, when it references the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, it speaks about it together with the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. Right. And uh, interestingly, in Sefer Nehemiah, it talks about a mitzvah of Mishloach Manos on Rosh Hashanah as well. Really? Once, yeah. And uh, it's actually codified by the Prichadash that before Rosh Hashanah, one should also give out Mishloach Manos. So there, there is an idea of a connection between Purim and the High Holidays. Well, and, Purim and Yom Kippurim and all that, we always, that, that, that one I remember. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, Purim and, and, and Kippurim. And certainly, um, you remember from the, the prayers of the High Holidays, almost every chapter of the Shemona Esri begins, Uvachain, with the word right. Uvachain. And the word Uvachain really comes from when Esther was about to stand before Ahasuerus, it says, Uvachain Chadas. So we're trying to evoke on the High Holidays the feeling of Esther about to stand before the king. Wow. So there are a number of very uh, compelling uh, similarities. I like the fact that the chesed component is stepped up in Adar, which is the last month of the year, right, before before the national yeah. year of Nisan begins. And, of course, in Elul, as you just said, and Rosh Hashanah, which, of course, is the end of and the very beginning of the new year. Uh, I love that um, uh, the fact that there's a comparison between those two time slots. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein is with us, The Concealed and the Revealed. All right, uh, Rabbi Gladstein, we can't do the entire book on the air, but I must ask you, <laughs> I must ask you, you got to give me a perspective on Adar. I mean, you know, it, the, we, we know that, you know, Adar has a yeah. significance and we're told to go to court in Adar as opposed to other times of year if you have a choice, et cetera, et cetera. Good luck in Adar, uh, all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, there are times that, you know, some things that are not great happen in Adar, but all right, you know, that, that's life, as they say. What is, it right. ab- what is it about this month? What is it in our tradition that makes the month of Adar so special? Well, uh, one of the ideas that we speak about in uh, the book is we know the symbol of Adar is the fish, right. Doug, Amazal Adar Dugim. Mm-hmm. And there's one unique facet of the fish, which is uh, remarkable, and that is it's one of the only animals that is missing one part. It has no neck. There's no neck. It's a head and a body just fused together. It's missing its tzavar. It has no neck. The base hamikdash is called the neck of the Jewish people. The job of a neck is it connects the head to the body. The temple, the base hamikdash, connects us, the guf, the body, to our head, God. But in the month of Adar, which is symbolized by the fish, that represents a month we don't even need the Beis HaMikdash. We're able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu even and transcend the need for a Beis HaMikdash, almost as the original plan for creation for Hashem, just to rest on the Jewish people without any medium. And therefore, it reflects a time of the future when we will be able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly. And it's sort of reminiscent of a future day. It's reminiscent of the days of Mashiach. And therefore, it's the one month, it's the one yomtif of the year that will never cease because it's, so to, so to speak, a page out of the future, a page out of a future time, a, pa- a page out of the days of the Mashiach. We'll always have and, Purim. Uh, we'll always have Purim. Purim will always be there. And it's funny, again, it's the month before what we call Chodesh HaGeula. It's the final, right. final month before you get That's to right. Nisan. Um, That's right. Sir. And we spoke, of course, about Megillah Sester, but about the holiday itself in terms of Purim, you know, there are so many messages that we focus on and so many people in the community focus on. Look, you know Mishloch Manos has become a, an industry in and of itself. And, bar, and, bar, <laughs> and Baruch Hashem, Matanas Le'avyonim, 
has become an industry. Right. You know, people pay much more attention to making sure they give Matanos Avionim and give, if they can't do it themselves, give it to their rabbi in advance or on Purim, uh, which, which I, again, when I, was, when I was younger, I don't think people paid as much attention to it. And so there are many important aspects of the holiday uh, that, that do get more attention and are taken much more seriously. Uh, but we do have, mm-hmm. the, but sometimes people do lose focus and hearing the Megillah twice, both night and day are so vital. What, what, what would you tell us, especially after writing this incredible book, what would you tell mm-hmm. us should be our focus on Purim? I know you, you're a believer in doing all the mitzvahs that I mentioned. I got it. <laughs> but but what, what, what should our focus be? What should the message be that we transmit to our children and grandchildren on a, on a day like this coming Thursday? If I could share one personal thought. Sure. Uh, this book is dedicated to, to the memory of my revered grandfather, Rabbi Mordechai Leib Gladstein, who is a Holocaust survivor. He just passed away this year at 105 years old. Wow. And when he was in Auschwitz, he heard uh, the old people crying as they were being taken out and to, to be killed. Who's going to say Kaddish for us? Who's going to remember us? And my grandfather, despite going through and traversing Auschwitz and Dachau and seeing all the terrible places, he dedicated his life to bring support, encouragement, chesed to old people, to zakenim, to sick people, to downtrodden people, because he recognized that when you're a survivor, it is your mission, it is your obligation in this world to bring joy to other people, and that is the greatest joy of a Jew, to bring simcha to others. So if Hashem saved Klal Yisrael collectively as a nation, and therefore we are all survivors, our primary obligation on Purim is to do whatever we can to bring joy to others, because that's really the only way for a person to experience true simcha. As the Rambam codifies, the greatest simcha is to uplift the hearts of the needy, the downtrodden, the lonely. And that's uh, our uh, main obligation on Purim and throughout the year, to bring simcha to other Jews. And that will engender the greatest simcha within uh, within us and our own families. And as we discussed earlier regarding chesed, and you just, you just uh, touched on it, if we know people in the community that are in fact lonely, are not getting the Mishloch Manos that others may be getting, are not getting the visitors on Purim and other times of the year, uh, then we should pay careful attention to their situation and try very hard to bring them joy. As you just said, that's the obligation. We just want we should bring them joy and happiness whenever possible. And uh, what a great what a great message that is for this Purim. A lot of people are, are a lot of people are suffering terribly right now on this globe. Many of them from our community, many of them from our national community. A lot of people are suffering terribly. We see what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, we see what's happening in different areas of Eastern Europe and Israel in terms of the refugees. And, of course, the people in other parts of the world have their own uh, difficulties. It's really important to keep in mind that as much as we are joyous, Baruch Hashem, this week, and have a wonderful Yom Tov coming up, uh, there are a lot of people that really do need to uh, be uplifted, and it's our obligation to do so. What a really And to, to instill in people that just as Hashem brought salvation to us in yeah. Persia 2,000 years ago, Cain Tihi Alanu, we hope and we, we are confident he will again bring national and personal salvation to all of the Jewish people. 
You know, Rabbi Glatstein, I always joke with people who write books about Kinnis <laughs> how, how horrible it must be, you know, being involved in Tishabov for the entire year that you're writing the book. <laughs> what's, it li- what's it like having Purim on your desk all year round? It must be amazing to write a book on Purim. Uh, I, lo- I love Purim. I love Purim. <laughs> so you literally got, yeah, to have, love- you got to have Purim all year and during COVID, an, ex- an extra bonus. How do you like that? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and an extra month, uh, you know, That's of Adar right. this year is always, uh, That's right. is always an added bonus. Yeah. Uh, the Concealed and the Revealed, or by Daniel Gladstein, is the author. The Royal Intrigue and Divine Irony of the Purim Miracle. Get it today, folks. This way you'll have it before Purim begins. Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Again, go to artscroll.com. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed, or by Daniel Gladstein. A real pleasure to speak with you. Mazal tov on the book. Have a wonderful, a wonderful Simchas pleasure Purim. Mine. Appreciate Stay that. well, Rav Nacham, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. A pleasure. Thank you so much. The Concealed and the Revealed, or by Daniel Gladstein, everybody. Artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Monday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Plenty more coming up if you keep it right here at the Nacham Siegel Network.